Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with News Data's Clearing Up, joined by my co-host and editor of News Data's California Energy Market, Jason Fortney. News Data covers the energy sector in California, the Northwest, and beyond like no one else. And here are some of the stories that we've been covering. Jason, what do you have for us this week? Hi, Dan. Uh, today, I will be talking about the California Energy Commission setting some expansive new offshore wind goals. And I'll be talking about a new study ordered by the state legislature to regionalize the California independent system operator. And finally, I'll be talking about some new storage, 200 megawatt hours of new storage that's been added to the Payland Solar Project in Riverside County. Lots of exciting things today. Yeah. Well, we had a little bit of a slower week up here, but uh, so the updates I've got for listeners, uh, we've got transmission upgrades across the Cascades could put the Pacific Northwest clean energy goals in reach. And in a a bit of good news, Columbia River Sockeye might have a record year for returns. And then last, uh, just a quick update on US, the US and Canada resuming Columbia River treaty negotiations. But uh, it sounds like you've got the bigger headline. So why don't you get us started? Sure thing. Uh, California Energy Commission on August 10th um, adopted a report that establishes new offshore wind energy goals between 2,000 and 5,000 megawatts operational by 2030 and 25,000 megawatts by 2045. Pretty big number. This is an increase from an initial goal, which released in May in a draft report of between 10,000 and 15,000 megawatts online by 2045. The CEC voted to approve the report, but stressed that the goals are planning targets, not procurement requirements. CEC Chairman David Hochschild said, quote, we're going to enter the era of the great implementation, unquote. He said that renewables such as wind and solar are often called intermittent, but what he said is what's been intermittent is the policy support. Uh, The U.S. Department of the Interior's Bureau of Ocean Energy Management originally established three call areas in federal waters off the California coast. Those were the Humboldt and Morro Bay call call areas off the north coast and the Diablo Canyon call area off the central coast. That would be where the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant is. Um, But at a June 21st BOEM workshop, the agency announced the expansion of the existing Morro Bay call area into a new call area. The Morro Bay call, the Morro Bay 399 call area. And they took the Diablo Canyon call area completely off the table. Um, I'm not sure exactly the reason, although there's been talk of keeping Diablo Canyon open, which looks like it might actually happen. Uh, the Interior and Defense Departments worked for years to find wind lease areas that don't conflict with military testing and training activities off the California coast. Those potential conflicts have long impeded California offshore wind. The agencies are now focusing on the Morro Bay 399 and Humboldt call areas. So yeah, pretty. Uh, this got some good attention. Um, these are all on the West Coast. You're only going to have floating turbines as we know, but uh, a lot of challenges to this infrastructure. These are massive facilities. You have wealthy coastal landowners. You have a lot of fish interests. So um, yeah, it's a big challenge, but you know, it looks like at some point we might be seeing some substantial development off the West Coast. Yeah, it, do you have any idea how how fast that might come? That development? What's your? I know. I mean, you know, as journalists, we're not supposed to predict the future, 
but just between you, me, and whoever's listening. Uh, yeah. What's, I mean, what's your read? The goal is 5,000 between but two, 2,000 and 5,000 megawatts operational by 2030. Uh, that's going to be very ambitious. You know, if you look at the projects on the East Coast, they take forever. Um, yeah. So, and 2045, you know, quite a ways off, maybe more realistic. Um, but, you know, they're talking 25 gigawatts by 2045. I just, that's going to be a big challenge. Yeah, indeed. Mm-hmm. Well, some of that uh, you know, uh, potential for offshore wind development uh, showed up in a story that uh, Steve Ernst wrote for Clearing Up um, mm-hmm. this week on transmission upgrades. Mm-hmm. So uh, proposed offshore wind development was part of the giant spike in renewable energy transmission requests uh, that Bonneville Power Association or sorry, administration has received in uh, according to its latest 2022 uh, transmission cluster study it came out with uh, the study a little while ago. Uh, they received 144 requests representing more than 11,000 megawatts, primarily solar storage and wind projects, but also 2,200 megawatts of proposed offshore wind. The uh, now they estimate that meeting all of these would cost about or to get all of these uh, developments on the grid would cost upwards of $2 billion yeah. uh, at, at the you know low end of the range. Um, but upgrading enough transmission to get enough clean energy to the Western or to Western Washington, Western Oregon to meet those states clean energy mandates is doable for less than a billion dollars and could be done by 2030, which is when uh, the utilities in those states have to drastically reduce their carbon emissions levels. So yeah. uh, it's a you know it looks like transmission it's it's not going to be cheap. It's not going to be easy, but that is a realistic timeline. Uh, as one consultant interviewed for the story, uh, former BPA administrator Randy Hardy told Steve, uh, you know this is doable. This is a it's like I said not going to be cheap, not going to be easy, but that is a doable project uh, to help Washington and Oregon meet those very ambitious decarbonization mandates. Yeah, we're hearing a lot of talk about transmission, of course, for renewables, and um, it's going to be critical for these states to to meet their goals. And uh, you have a lot happening at the federal level, at at Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. But yeah, that sounds like good news for renewables. How do you think the residents of those states will feel about these lines? Well, that's the other thing. I mean, fortunately yeah. for most of most of the these were all talking about transmission upgrades rather than okay. new lines. All so right. that's that makes all it good. certainly easier. But yeah, I mean, we've seen with like the Boardman Boardman to Hemingway line. I mean, Pacific Core and Idaho Power have been working on that for what fifteen years now or something. I. Yeah. Um, and they're starting to get to the point where they're actually getting close to actually doing construction on the project. Um, they're you know actually doing some like some of the uh, really detailed design work and other stuff, but they're still in the permitting process. They're not completely finished, and there's still legal challenges to it. Um, yeah, I mean that's I think one of the most interesting things to watch going forward is going to be how. Uh, since there is such a huge need for transmission to meet decarbonization goals, 
uh, something's going to have to happen on land use policy. It's just, there's, it's hard to see a way for the industry to get enough transmission capacity to decarbonize the energy sector, let alone electrify everything else without you know, lowering, if everything is going to be drawn out in litigation for years and you know, uh, permit fights and et cetera, et cetera, that's just going to make it uh, timelines drag on and on and on for building uh, and upgrading transmission. Sure, but as you said, along is existing pathways a little bit yeah. easier. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was right. I was taking that a step further there, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, which I so I it'll be interesting to see if there's any pushback against upgrades. Yeah, it seems like a lot less controversial. I would yeah. think, as opposed to putting in a new line. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, well, coming back to California, uh, I wrote in my bottom lines uh, on Friday's issue, the state legislature passed a bill expressing its desire for the California independent system operator to expand into a regional transmission organization. Um, it's been a long running topic. Uh, let's see the ISO. It's been seven years since they passed a similar bill looking for a, st- uh, a similar study, which Kaiso did complete. Um, but this is Assembly Concurrent Resolution 188 introduced by Assemblyman Chris Holden requests that Kaiso study the creation of a Western RTO as a way to increase reliability and meet clean energy goals. Uh, here's a quote, as tens of thousands of megawatts of renewable resources are slated for development in the West and thousands of megawatts of coal-fired resources are retired and continue to be shut down, momentum is building for greater regional coordination, according to Mr. Holden. Um, back in 2015, there was legislation um, passed by uh, Kevin DeLeon, SB 350, which also directed CAISO to study regionalization. CAISO came out with that study July 2016. And that study said regionalization would help meet the goal of 50% renewable energy by 2030, which was the goal at the time actually established in that same bill by DeLeon. Uh, The studies also found that consumers would save 1.5 billion by 2030 through regionalization and that it would reduce greenhouse gas emissions while creating about 20,000 jobs, mostly through lower energy prices. Yeah, no, that's interesting about the lower energy prices fueling jobs. Yeah, uh, seems kind of speculative, but I think it makes sense once I thought about it. You know, if I, I yeah. know that higher energy prices would probably lead people to not hire as much. Hopefully, the the reverse would be true. Um, the studies also found there would be more strategic siting of projects and better visibility into system operation which would help integrate renewables and reduce solar curtailments. Uh, there is a big obstacle though, and this is something I've written about quite a bit. And the fact that it's California basically leading a regional organization after the energy crisis of the early 2000s, and even the blackouts that we had two years ago this month, um, that's still fresh on the mind of a lot of states in the West. and it's really been a bit of a black mark and there's just, you have such differing policies say with Arizona or Nevada compared to California. And 
I don't know. It's that's will continue to be an obstacle. I'm quite sure. Oh yeah, no, that's very much the case. Uh, having talked to people in a lot of the yeah, I've talked to people right. in very in several states outside California about possible markets uh, formation in the West. Yeah, there's still a lot of uh, suspicion of California, especially in states like Montana, Wyoming, but even you know in Washington and Oregon that are. Uh, yeah, predominantly more politically aligned with California. Right. They're still wary of yeah, just falling, becoming a uh, you know, captured by California's gravitational pull. Yeah, and what what you saw when you know there was a regionalization bill in 2018, and a lot of and there was some, over a hundred groups got together and said we don't want to partner with coal states as they call them. So that's kind of an indication that California does want control over energy planning. And that's not going to go over well. I just went through Wyoming, South Dakota, saw some big coal plants, saw lots of coal hmm. trains, also saw some wind farms. Um, and I will tell you that the people of Wyoming don't like California. <laughs> they were, they were very, they're the, some of the friendliest people I've ever met. But as soon as you start talking about California, it's just, and especially with, you know, Wyoming is the number one destination for San Franciscans. Uh, so politically, California is very unpopular. So that, that has an effect on this, I think. Number one popular destination for people moving out of San Francisco? Yeah, it's actually Jackson Hole, which is the most touristy, uh, okay. rich place in Wyoming. But yeah, uh, I was in a small town. It's called Belfoof. Belfuge has an unusual spelling. I'm not sure I'm even saying it right. And I was talking to some of the locals and they said, oh, those Californians are moving here. It should be three years before they can vote. So there's a lot of nervousness <laughs> among these people, uh, yeah. for, probably for good reason. I mean, we know these are polar opposite cultures. <laughs> it's going to yeah. be interesting. Yeah, that... Um that's uh yeah i just wrote about a story but that's partially one of the reasons that uh, uh one of the commissioners in montana is calling for a um he wants to introduce a docket to have a informa information gathering session to get a clear picture on uh, montana's resource adequacy needs because uh, it's really isolated up there in the the far northeastern corner of the WEC, um and it, part of his concerns is uh just yeah, competing with demand from California and other sectors that are driving carbon resources off the, you know, out of uh, out of the grid, the portfolio stack, uh, because yeah. of mandates, but also because of economics, um, right? And what that means for Montana when the you know when it's freezing, uh, the temperatures have plunged and the wind's not blowing. So yeah, Montana has a lot of. Uh, looks a little cross-eyed or not cross-eyed. What's the phrase? I can't remember. Side-eye. Uh, side Thank you. There we go. But um, yeah, so both. more than 663,000 fish uh, have been counted at the Bonneville Dam as of August 10th, making this year's Columbia River sockeye return the largest run on record. So that is uh, yeah, some great news. Although, again, I just have to temper this with the overall trends are not great, um, but uh, you know, after suffer suffering 
several setbacks in, in uh, recent years, this has been a welcome welcome bit of good news. And that's the uh, biggest run on record since records start, were uh, started being kept in 1938. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah. And oh. they're even yeah making it far up the uh the columbia river basin and the snake river and other other tributaries excellent so it's good more about that from casey mahaffey at newsday.com yep casey always on top of the latest fish numbers she does a great job she does yeah all right well back in california i have a story from abigail sawyer it's a new tech 200 megawatt hour battery storage has been added to the 457 megawatt Palin Solar Project in Riverside County, which is part of the Desert Renewable Energy Conservation Plan administered by the U.S. Department of the Interior's Bureau of Land Management. Uh, It joins previous solar projects, McCoy, Blythe, and Desert Harvest, as well as four solar projects in the plan area that began production before the uh, DRECP was in effect. Uh, Palin was completed in five phases with its capacity steadily increasing. Um, phase one was completed in December 2020, brought the initial 125 megawatts online. Subsequent installments have brought the project to its full 457 megawatt capacity in the intervening year and a half. Interconnection of the 50 megawatt battery storage system marks conclusion of Palin's fifth and final phase. BLM in 2018 approved construction of the solar facility and an approximately seven mile single circuit, 230 kV generation interconnection transmission line to deliver power through the Southern California Edison Red Bluffs substation. Uh, the project developer is EDF Renewable Energy. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's always good. You know, it's pretty critical to have battery storage at these facilities as we're seeing, and this should help a little bit down there in Riverside County and the, the Kaiso grid. And that's our uh, reporting from Abigail on that one. Yeah. Well, that's another interesting development. Well, and another update here from Casey Mahaffey. Uh, so can- Canada and the United States resumed negotiations on the Columbia river treaty on August 10th and 11th meeting in Richland, Washington for the 13th round of the official talks. And while it's the first formal negotiation since January, representatives from both sides have met informally four times since then in March, April, and May to clarify issues. Mm-hmm. They've also had some other virtual information sessions along the way. Uh, so there's not any update, though, on progress. But, uh, of course, the region is watching the negotiations closely uh, as this greatly affects, has a lot of... Uh, implications uh, for management of the hydropower system on the Columbia River and hoping to rebalance some of the things that were set in some of the arrangements that were set in the last uh, negotiations that uh, some folks down in the U.S. felt like were some of the gave up a little bit too much to Canada. So uh, constrained our operations here a little bit in, in some aspects. So you can read more about that and uh, ongoing coverage from KC at newsdata.com. And that's go, it for me. That's it for me, too. Thanks for listening to Newsdata's Energy West. You can read more of our coverage at newsdata.com. Nobody covers energy in the West like we do. 
Follow us on Twitter. CEM is at CEM News Data. That's the letter CEM News Data. Clearing Up is at CU News Data. That's the letter CU News Data. And uh, any closing words, Dan? No, just thanks for listening. And as always, please rate and review this podcast and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and let other people know about it. Uh, Energy West is edited and produced by our colleagues, Sarah Wooten at Pioneer Utility Resources and Lucas Smith at Lucky Sound Studio. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at DCatchPole and my co-host, Jason Fordney. You're on Twitter at Fordney Energy. Yep. Entertaining and annoying people. And informing them. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. (laughs) Thanks, everybody, and uh, tune in next week. You've been listening to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow.